Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on my right, live from a Marriott conference room, the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Welcome to the Hagenberger conference room. You can just feel the authority and the power in this place. You know, in all seriousness, everybody was talking about the end of Oracle Arena, but the real end of the era is me staying at this hotel room you know, just off of uh, the Oakland airport, one of the least glamorous hotels in the world. Uh, I actually feel like I've I've invited you into my home, but this actually feels like inviting you to my like horrible rundown beach house where <laughs> now we're really going to bond over a couple days of like, you know, old VCRs. And uh, how many you know, nights do you think you've spent here in the last five years? That's a great question. It could easily be 150 you know i would have to add them up but like you know it's been five long title runs here from golden state uh well three title runs and and five postseason runs but man the one thing about super teams andrew they start with a bang and they end with a bang don't they i mean i feel like we'll Well, get to the raptors and crowning them and everything else but let's get to the raptors real quick actually because we sat down to record this podcast both you and i are in a rush because we have big assignments to finish later tonight So we're going to knock this out for the next 45 minutes. But we sat down in this conference room, and then there was this faint music playing in the background. (laughs) Oh. Did you catch the song that happened to be playing? It was a Drake song. It was. It was Drake, God's Plan. And had that music continued, it would have been incredibly obnoxious throughout the podcast. Well, I can tell you, a termite probably planted that. There's no doubt about it. It felt right. It felt right They're following us around. Uh, it, It was a heck of a night for Toronto. There's no question, but... My head is spinning right now because Kevin Durant goes out with an Achilles mm-hmm. that could cost him the entire season next year. Clay Thompson in Game Six uh, goes out with what they're calling a, a left ACL, which could potentially cost him all of next season. So that's what I mean about the super team. Like they came in hot and they went out super hot. You know. Well, and that performance tonight was just so legendary to me. I mean, I don't know if you had the same reaction, but watching them from the first quarter on, it was like, all right, so how how can they possibly make this a game? And then Iguodala comes up with 22 huge points. I don't know what he, what he finished with exactly. But 22. Like, okay, so 22. Draymond was just a monster. I mean, I think he finished with a triple-double, had 19 boards. He did have eight turnovers, which I thought were kind of the difference in the game as far as I'm concerned. Um, Steph wasn't great, but he was being triple teamed on every single possession, basically. And obviously he had that look at the end that was tough. Uh, But in general, like top to bottom, I just thought that was a badass performance from a really proud team that was not going to go quietly. And I know that sounds like super cliche. I think it's like three cliches in one sentence, but like that's just how it felt. No, there was some heart and some grit and some championship resolve. Champion, man. <laughs> yeah. like, that's what I saw tonight. I'm sorry. No, I know. I'm playing with you. I'll, I'm going to take people behind the scenes just because this is how crazy this game was. As soon as Kyle Lowry came out and got them to what, like an 11-2 lead off the top? Mm-hmm. I already started writing my story as if the Raptors were going to win the title. Yeah. And it came all the way down to a Steph Curry pretty clean look at a three, which would have absolutely screwed me. <laughs> and he hit that shot. Because the whole way through, I'm saying, even before Clay's injury, like, there's no way these guys can win this game, you know? And- oh, see, I don't know. When Clay was out there and they got rolling in that third quarter, mm. I was beginning to think, all right, these guys are not losing tonight. They're just, they just were making too many plays, and they just had so much 
mental toughness in those moments. And and frankly, like for me, it was gratifying. And granted, a lot of this comes in a loss. So there, I'm sure there are going to be haters out there who are like, oh, the Warriors come up short again when it matters. But like to me, we've seen so many people question that team's mental toughness and question their ability to play when things are not going their way. I think a lot of the, like the most popular criticism of the Warriors is that this, these guys are front runners and when they're when everything's working, they look unbelievable, but when things get tight, they don't necessarily show up. Who says these things? Um, idiots on the internet. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I want to just confirm that because look, I haven't been watching that team for the last 5 years, that's for sure, but it's a weird place to be. I fully trusted Toronto tonight. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know how I got here because that's certainly not where I've been for years and at times even during this postseason. But I was confident they would have an answer. I was surprised, though, that the answer was not Kawhi Leonard over and over again. I kind of thought it was going to be Kyle Lowry softens the Warriors up. Yeah. And then Kawhi Leonard knocks them out. And instead, it was a little bit of everybody. Like, how big was Pascal's runner in the paint? And it put them up late. Fred Van Vliet, I mean, what, five <laughs> huge shots uh, at various points Van of this game? Van Vliet was so awesome right. all night long. I mean, basically, Lowry had the best first half of his life. and, um, no, and I thought it, it was a career-defining game. I mean, and it like, was cool. It was yeah. cool to see him come through in that moment, particularly after some of the heat he took for a couple of the open looks he missed at the end of Game 5. Well, uh, look, if the ball goes behind the backboard, you're going to get heat. I mean, come on. Well, yeah, and he had another one that was like just point blank, and he missed it, and that was an opportunity to put the series away. But then he came back in game six, and he took that opportunity. He seized it, and he was awesome for most of the night. He started to cool off a little bit in the second half, but um, I was really impressed, and I was happy for him that he got to have some ownership in this win that sort of – is a franchise-defining win, obviously. Oh, of course. And and for him, it's so big. I mean, and it's been a, long, a lot of years uh, in the making. Can I say, though, I've been resisting wanting to make this comparison the whole way through because you know how I feel about the 2014 Spurs, and I put them up on the pedestal. But there was some very 2014 Spursy vibes with this team. I mean, basically, everybody besides Danny Green came up big. Ibaka had some really big moments. Uh, Kawhi, not his best game, but you know he he obviously is leaving an impact every single night. Yeah, Siakam was gigantic, uh, and Nick Nurse called him out actually before the game for his lack of defensive uh, impact in Game Five, saying that's why he benched him. And I think that got back to Pascal because he came out and played incredibly uh, incredibly well. Well, Gasol and- chipped in a little bit too. So I'm just like, what I loved about that 2014 Spurs team is like every single person on the court was a threat. They could all do it offensively. They could all do it defensively. Um, I think there was a real redemption factor for that team. I look at this Raptors team, obviously a big redemption factor here. I think about Duncan's crazy turnaround to beat the Thunder, uh, you know, maybe not quite as dramatic as Kawhi Leonard's, you know, bouncing, bouncing, bouncing shot to beat Philly, but still some of those late game moments. And then there's just the idea that anybody can beat you on any given night. And I guess in this comparison, Van Vliet gets to be mono. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Van Vliet hit some giant shots after the court on the game. Marcus Saul was going up to him being like, how can you even walk right now because of how big his balls were? <laughs> and um, it was just that kind of night for Freddie Van Vliet. It's been that kind of series. Yeah. Ever since Fred Jr. was born, 
Fred Van Vliet turned into the greatest six man of all time. Shout out to him. Shout out to me being right about the big things. Once again, <laughs> called Van Vliet from October. Did not necessarily call the rest of the Raptors winning a title, but um, I will be purchasing. I've heard from a number of listeners about my choice on fvvshop.com. Okay, what'd you, what'd you narrow it down to? You know to? what? I almost brought this up to Van Vliet postgame, oh, uh, but I decided not guy. to. I, I, There's I, enough of those guys in the Canadian media. I, you don't need to be that there guy. There are. There are. But I honestly, I was looking for him to restock on some items that I, I really do want. He's, uh, he's low on stock. It's, again, been that kind of playoff run where FVV Shop is, is selling out. But... Um, We'll see. I'll make my choice in a couple days. You're going to just tease us? We don't even get some options? No, I have to go through it, man. Um, But (laughs) let's get back to the game for a second. because What am I going to do? Just in general, that was one of the craziest games, maybe the craziest game I've ever witnessed in person, the intensity. But you just said that about the last game. What do you mean? That it was the craziest game you'd ever seen. No, I did not say that about the last game. The last game... To be frank, I was writing on deadline and didn't get to enjoy it to the fullest extent. Whereas this one, Oracle, man, like the the crowd showed up in a huge way. And um, a, they, that, that was a much better crowd than the first two games of this series. No, they got the memo. I mean, I think they got called out by everybody. And somebody said that you know, it was kind of this weird uh, kind of empty feeling in that game for because like they didn't really know whether they were going to have another one is it the last one is it not and maybe that influenced people in terms of kind of their you know the fan mentality towards the game but i think having the finality of like yep this is it so yeah. you better the fans better leave it out there you know you better bring your championship spirit all those things that you were mentioning earlier like the crowd kind of had to step up and then i think the kd thing was a real deal too you know i mean they showed his stuff up on the the jumbotron people definitely reacted but the biggest reaction of the whole night was when clay came back out of the tunnel that was wild man i i got goosebumps and i said earlier that there wasn't um, for most of the game, I felt like Toronto was going to win it. Just I, felt, I thought they had control. I thought that the way Lowry was playing, it's like if they get a game like that from him, you know, that's that's their margin for victory. But when Clay came back out of that tunnel, and it's like, wait a minute, he just had to be helped off. He couldn't even barely walk. He looked like he was in you know real pain on the court, and he bangs those free throws. I mean, that was very very loud for Oracle, and that was the one moment where I was like, oh god, like yeah. are, are we? actually witnessing like the willis reed thing that we spent our entire lives hearing about when we grew up yeah and um i understand why they didn't want to let him play but it's not surprising <laughs> me that clay did want to play and again on a torn acl like that's out of this world yeah so apparently kerr said that clay's message to him on the torn acl was i need a two minute rest and i'll be ready to go yeah and that's not surprising <laughs> at all, given what we know about Clay Thompson. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, that was one of the coolest moments I've ever seen. And that's why, like, sitting there, it really was. It felt like we were watching NBA history. And um, part of me wishes the Warriors had won this game just so that it would be commemorated uh, for what it was. Because as far as a... As a performance from them that was about as impressive as anything I've ever seen from this team and they've done some incredible things over the last five years but to fight and and to show the resilience that they showed throughout the night um was just insane to me like it was just off the charts out of this world whether it's Clay whether it's Steph Iguodala Draymond like 
those guys were proud and uh, and crazy impressive. And then on the Raptors side, yeah, I was going to say, were you impressed by the team that won? Or I mean, a little bit, like <laughs> a little bit. Well, no. I mean, what do you want me to say? Like the Raptors have been doing this for a couple weeks, but I think that the Warriors. I was just as impressed by them tonight, and um, and the Siakam the Siakam game was huge because that's one of the things that had changed for the Raptors over the last week or two. Is like he came out had that great game one, and then offensively he had begun to sort of disappear over the last week, and um, and they needed him to hit shots, and they needed Kyle Lowry to show up the way he did, and Kawhi I think was starting to wear down, so they kind of needed this game also, like they, closing it here was huge for them, and um, I agree with you too that like I will remember this team just as much by the collective as I will Kawhi because I think part of what made this Raptors team charming by the end and then like granted we haven't had a lot of time to appreciate them in large part I think because we've seen them kind of short circuit these massive favorites and like when the Bucks go from winning 60 games to losing four straight games and and falling out of the Eastern Conference Finals that's almost a bigger story, and it's hard to focus on the Raptors. Hard, it's hard to know how much is real. And um, and the same was true in the first half of this series when the Raptors are beating the Warriors. It's like, holy shit, is this it for the Warriors? And so everyone focuses on Golden State. And- no, it's another comparison in 2014 where you know San Antonio takes care of KD and the Thunder. They take care of LeBron and the Heat. And in the story both times is like, oh, here's these other bigger stars kind of getting knocked out of the yeah. postseason, right? Look, uh, I'm not saying they're as good as the 14 Spurs. Just like, let's be completely no, clear there. But it's but, like a cast of characters, right. and each one of them has overcome odds in their own way and took this sort of circuitous journey to get here. And yeah, uh, a lot it was of them just, are international players, you know, from different parts of the globe. You know, bringing totally different stories. A lot of vets, uh, you know, waiting for sort of their their big moments. Uh, yeah, there's lots of comparisons. I mean, I think um, what I'll remember about this Raptors team is just that they outlast everybody, you know? Like, and ultimately, like, Golden State, <laughs> if it wasn't tonight, it was going to be Game 7 once they lost Clay, right? And so it was just sort of like, I felt like the Warriors for a lot of this series were living on borrowed time. They kind of exhausted all nine of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And Toronto, it's like, we're just going to wait, and we're going to hang around, and we're going to hang around, and we're going to keep applying pressure, and we're going to see when you finally break. And, you know, there was moments where, you know, Toronto, I mean, the Danny Green turnover late was just like, that would have been an all-timer for throwing the ball out of bounds and and giving Steph that uh, opportunity. But patience, you know, make sure Kawhi hits the free throws, you know. And I think that was a nice moment for Kawhi too, right? He has three free throws to seal it uh, late in that game. You know, 2013, he blows the title by missing a free throw. So uh, full circle for him there as well. Um, and I think, you know, they're, they're worthy champions. And we talked about the asterisk talk earlier. And look, there couldn't have been more injuries, hardly, for Golden State. And they wind up going home with a title with total elation. I mean, whether it was Nurse, whether it was Ujiri after the game, whether it was Kawhi, who I thought was very forthcoming in his postgame comments. Kyle was obviously on cloud nine. Yeah. I mean, it's a signature victory for them. Their their crowd was incredible, too. You know, staying late, singing O Canada, chanting We the North. I mean, that was a real moment for them. Uh, and, you know, I, I think um, it's 
going it's going to be great to see how this whole thing ages right because you see uh kyle jump into the press conference with with van vliet at the end no what do you do he came in and you know they have these long sort of boom mics for the reporters and kyle just sits amid the reporters and asks van vliet like how does it feel to be an nba champion (laughs) and van vliet's sitting up there and he's like you know Feels really good to get a win for for Kyle Lowry. He came out and played really well. I thought he was going to have 50 in the first half. Then he started to slow down in the second half, and it felt really good to sort of bail him out a little bit and get him that title for his legacy. Van Vliet's a quote machine. It was great, man. It was really great from both of those guys, and I'm really happy for them. And the one thing that I want to focus on is just how insane it is that we're sitting here talking about the Raptors and saying, you know, they just they just kept coming. They were going to outlast everybody. They were they were right. tougher than everybody. And I, I think like a lot of the credit goes to Masai, their GM Bobby Webster for recognizing that last year's team had those weaknesses pulling and, the um, plug. You know, they had the they had to pull the plug on Demar. They and I think frankly they had to pull the plug on Dwayne Casey too. I think there was some creativity we saw from Nurse. Oh my God, that's throughout a great this point. postseason that you know maybe Casey doesn't really get to whether it's with his lineups, you know, the crazy zone defense. I mean, does Casey break out a box in one? It's no shot at Casey. Uh, we love Casey. We're Dwayne Casey's stands. It's just a different style. Yeah. Well, and you remember back to that Cavs series, it took him two or three games before he even started to make any real adjustments. And um, that uh, Nick Nurse was the complete opposite. I thought even starting with Kawhi on Clay tonight, uh, granted Clay got going. He had thirty points on twelve shots. Like no, he's legendary. I mean, he's had some great game sixes, but this is honestly, what's more memorable? This game six or the one in OKC? I guess the one in OKC, but like not by that much. <sighs> See, that's why it hurts that the Warriors lost tonight because this one was right up there with anything else that they have accomplished. Um, and, and again, it's a loss, so. I understand if anyone's no, out there rolling their no, eyes. No, this is blowing my mind. Ass. This is blowing my mind too, because you're not really a moral victories guy, but like you're basically giving them their own trophy for tonight. A little bit, and 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 you know the the Warriors now face all kinds of crazy questions given the recovery time that Clay is going to be looking at, and um, we'll have to see how they respond. I mean, Woj came out on Twitter and said. It, making the playoffs next year is going to be an uphill battle, and I saw uh, that. <laughs> well, we got still got Steph Curry. They do have Steph Curry, but Steph Curry plus the like rotating cast of G Leaguers we saw tonight. Like that's a tough ask for Steph. I mean, I don't know if Sean yeah. Livingston is even going to be there next year, and so what direction do they go? I don't know. That's a separate I, conversation. I think you need to take a deep breath and, and lay some money down on Steph Curry MVP odds because if they get to 45 wins, he's winning MVP, right? <laughs> Maybe. I, I actually don't think Steph will ever win another MVP because of the weird resentment that sort of percolates beneath the surface. Yeah, they'll also probably put him in bubble wrap next year too, right? And play him like, give him some serious load management. I don't know. It, yeah, it could be like a year of load management for the whole Warriors team. Steve Kerr, just, you know, go rest that back, come back in 2021. Uh, um, uh, we should talk about Kawhi here <laughs> that for a second. That would be hilarious to listen back to at some point. <laughs> hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with a message from Mattress Firm. The only thing better than watching your team win is a perfect nap. And Mattress Firm's President's Day sale lets you get a king mattress for a queen price 
or a queen mattress for a twin price for savings of up to $600. And you can take home a free adjustable base with a qualifying purchase. But you have to hurry. The clock is ticking on this sale. It's ending soon. Isn't it time you saved and slept like a champion? Shop now. Mattressfirm.com. Mattressfirm.com for the President's Day sale. Uh, we should talk about Kawhi here and what this finals MVP means for him. So he joins LeBron. He joins uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's the only two guys to do it on multiple uh, you know, different organizations. He does it five years removed from his previous one. Obviously, he's at a totally different stage of his career. I think you know he used his post-game press conference to basically say, like, hey, I heard what everybody had to say about me in the media. Uh, you know, I'm glad to prove you wrong, essentially, and kind of went down that path. In your mind, does the way that this season played out, the finals MVP, the title, does it validate uh, what happened last year in San Antonio and the way he exited? We got this question from a lot of our Open Floor Globe uh, emailers. What do you think? Um, Yes, it's funny. We've been getting this question repeatedly for almost six weeks now. With more and more capital letters. Yeah, so I don't know. I think that the Kawhi situation is tricky to really have a take on um, in the same way that Durant's situation in the middle of the series was tricky because, like, we're not doctors. We're not in the training room. We're not in any of these meetings. And the decisions that are made about who plays and when and who's ready are kind of, like, beyond our pay grade um, and certainly beyond our knowledge. I don't really understand how the quadricep works. Uh, my best friend is a doctor. He could probably hazard a guess, but like, it's just a tricky situation. So I think Kawhi was trusting his body. I do enough credible people have come out sort of side-eyeing the way he handled things in San Antonio that I think it's also fair to be a little critical of the way he approached things. Um, but at yeah. the same time, like he didn't he didn't want to be there. And not playing was his leverage and and his card to play to force his way out. And so if that's what he was doing, I understand it and and more power to him. The thing that I kind of... But don't you think he should be criticized if that's what he was doing? I mean, or at least he's open to it. It's not like he's blameless. I think that his post-game press conference, I think he was basically saying like, hey, this lets me off the hook for everything. You guys were all wrong. And I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. And and where I struggle is when people say, oh, he was just listening to his body. And this was a medical issue the entire time. And anyone who doubted that is heartless and anti-player. I think that the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think there was a real medical issue and there was a real dispute with Spurs medical people. But at the same time, as the season went on, it did seem like behind the scenes, there were a lot of people who said he's ready to play. And it wasn't even just behind the scenes because you saw Popovich's comments, you saw Tony Parker's comments, Manu Ginobili's comments, how they felt left hanging. So if there was a clear situation where he knew he couldn't play, his body was not right, he was not going to come back. That's pretty easy to communicate, and I think everybody could have gotten on board with that, right? Yeah. That just didn't happen. And well, so and not not only does he, uh, you know, kind of leave people hanging with these questions, but he departed the team. He was away from the team for months. Uh, he was not with the team during the playoffs. And we're talking about guys who he won titles with who are on their last legs of their career who are just basically hanging and being forced to answer these questions because he did not provide answers to either the media or to his teammates where they're all just stuck in limbo. And I thought that was really unfair to his guys. I mean, he's the highest paid player on that team at that point. He, you know, he's not really the leader as Greg Popovich, uh, you know, was, was so uh, keen to point out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So keen to point out with that. 
Um, but you have but, a certain responsibility if you're that guy to your teammates, especially guys who you've played with for years, who you've had a lot of success with for years. And I don't think what happened this year absolves him of any of that. Now, did he answer some questions by stepping up as a leadership presence, by having his personality you know, start to dictate how Toronto played, by playing every single game and huge minutes during the postseason? Yes, he answered a lot of questions, but definitely. those questions were once were he raised fair. himself. Yeah, those questions were fair, those I think questions, is, your, is your point. Absolutely, and they're of his own making. It's not the media's making, you know? And so I think if he wants to throw it back on the media, I think that's a little bit disingenuous. Okay. Um, I agree with that. And I would also add that the Spurs are not really like a callous, cavalier organization when it comes to rest and injuries. And that was part of the story as well. I mean, Greg Popovich is flying all over San Diego trying to do all these emergency summit meetings. (laughs) I mean, like he would, you know, they realized something was going wrong. It went sideways. They don't know when it happened exactly or what happened. They tried their best to make it right. I don't think that they were, you know, trying to force him to play through injury in some like, you know, horrible, egregious manner like you're describing. And I do think that this situation is definitely different than the KD situation. But I think that problems uh, from both that we could point to would be the public communications, right? Yep. And I think that that's the big takeaway for everybody around the league. Like if you've got a star who's hurt by trying to bury the news or drag out the timeline or, you know like downplay it initially you're going to wind up creating a lot more problems for yourself than you realize if you're just a straight shooter about it from up front take the pressure off your player let him rehabilitate in private and peace i think that's a better play yeah things can certainly get weird um the Kawhi question i have now though is where do you see this leading because he just put together one of the most incredible playoff runs we've seen in the last 20 years um he's 27 years old where does he rank in the league and where is he playing next year are you convinced that he made himself the best player in the league this year from this series so i think think he was the best player in these playoffs but i don't know if he was so good in this series that i'm willing to say he is the best player in the league now the big trick is lebron is coming off an injury KD is not going to be around next year, so he may wear the crown by default. Yeah, and and, I mean, I don't know if it's by default since he just won a title and won finals MVP and ran through the entire league, but my question with Kawhi going forward is his health, Um, and, and that's why, you know, the load management stuff, I think you and I were among many people around basketball who kind of side-eyed the load management policy in Toronto. And that was clearly the correct course of action, given not only what he's been able to do, but given the sort of nagging injuries that have slowed him down along the way that seem like they're just going to be part of the story with Kawhi going forward. I mean, like coming out of the series, I wonder whether he's going to have to just go get surgery on his knee. Um, that's, okay. that's pure speculation, but just watching him move, it did seem like he was slowing down. And the only reason I'm reluctant to suddenly turn around and say, all right, well, this is your league now, Kawhi, because uh, it certainly was his league for the last two months, is that I wonder? I wonder like how healthy he's going to be going forward. I think he's he's 27, but he has times out there where he looks like he's 33 or 34. Yeah, I just said by default because I think Kevin's still a better player if he's yeah. healthy, and that that version of Kevin's gone. So that's that's kind of where the by default thing uh, came through um, with the load management stuff. Um, 
again, this was a question that Ka- Kawhi raised himself, right? Because when he's sitting out every third game during the regular season, we have to wonder, is he doing that because he's trying to protect himself to get his big payday next summer, right? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily just a health-related decision at that point. We have to weigh all factors. You know, the, the fact that immediately, as soon as he gets traded to Toronto, his first reaction is reportedly that he doesn't want to be there. So we have to, you know, view all this stuff skeptically. Now, once he gets to the postseason and he's putting together game after game after game. He provided his answers on the court, man. Right. He sure did. And the greatest ability was availability. And when his team needed him, <laughs> he was very, very available, right? I mean, there's he no was. question about it. He now, was. I think the more interesting question with load management is this was an extreme example of a guy who's still in his age prime taking significant time off and doing it uh, in a systematic manner. If you're a team, you know, and you're seeing how the Warriors fell apart in the postseason with all these stars going through injuries, right? If you're an agent for a superstar player, do you now say, hey, this is what I, this is the new cutting edge way to approach a season, right? Like, perhaps playing 82 games is for the birds. We just want to play 55 to 60 enough to get into the postseason and then we'll, we'll settle it there. And you know what? That might work. Like, rather than shorten the season, which, which forces the league to sacrifice all kinds of money that they are never going to want to do. Right. If the entire league just starts to approach the regular season a little bit differently, I mean, this is one where, I'm speaking as someone who knows soccer via FIFA video games, <laughs> strictly. So so the AI forces you to rest your guys every three days? Yes. <laughs> and you know what? It works okay in the Premier League and with all the cup matches and everything else. And like Maybe that's how teams are going to start approaching the regular season and, and basketball fans are going to have to learn to be okay with that. There's a lot of people who will suddenly start to cry for like the the average fans who go to these games and I think that like everyone's an adult and people can adjust uh, their expecta- their expectations accordingly. So I, this also seems like the kind of thing, though, where other people will try to copy it and will like backfire and they'll just like miss the playoffs. Because there was a lot of things that had to go right with the rest of Toronto's roster for them to still be in such a dominant position and not without that, with resting Kawhi, you know? And this postseason has been such an emphatic validation of everything Toronto did. But at the same time, had they lost that Sixers series, which was a complete toss-up. I mean, literally... Four bounces on the rim, and they're going to overtime. Kawhi's exhausted. He's, like, shooting 35% from the field. No one else on the team wants to shoot. Anything could have happened in overtime. And so had they lost that, like, who knows what kind of conversations we'd be having about what worked and what didn't in Toronto. And and I agree with you that, like, replicating this It's going to be harder than it thinks is, I guess, my point. And you have to have a lot of talent around that main guy to kind of make yeah, it work. Yeah, like, the Bucks could not have played Giannis no. 55 or 60 games this year. And, Just- a, and a lot of other organizations with players who are either, like, in contract years or are younger or are thirstier or whatever else, they would be blanching at the idea of a star coming in and coming out, right? The Lakers would be a great example. You know what is a, another great parallel is Joel Embiid because we've had some emailers writing in saying, you know, all right, so why didn't Embiid rest this way? And, and I think the answer is that Embiid wanted to play and wanted to be seen playing every game 
and wanted to put up his numbers and make all NBA. There are contractual incentives. Right. A lot of guys would care about the conversation that Kawhi just did not care about, right? <laughs> Kawhi just did not. It's funny because you were like, well, like Kawhi could have messaged this better in public. And as you were saying that, I was like, you know, Kawhi just does not give a shit what anyone right. says about well, him. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, even if it's not him personally, like his people or the, org- you know, the Spurs organization definitely could have, uh, you know, in consultation with him yeah uh i mean it it went as badly as it could have until the warriors thing which i think honestly was worse yeah with well, kd though that was i don't even and that one's even more inexplicable because i think kd would care and because he's got people who are trying to turn him into this like billion dollar enterprise and i think that he was out there hanging for weeks when he just didn't need to be hanging and yeah i think if if they had messaged it differently i really do wonder whether the pressure would have built to the point where it did. And by messaged it differently, what we mean is like, it's on them. Like, cause I, I think there were parts, there were times during this Warriors series when even the Warriors weren't sure exactly what was going on. Right. And like Kevin Durant could have gone on ESPN and given a 10 minute interview before the finals. He could have sent one text, you know, to, yeah. a, to anybody or his people could have sent one text saying, hey, I had a grade two or whatever the the strain would have been. The typical recovery time is six weeks. The finals is, you know, before that timeline. And that's where we stand. And that would have changed the whole conversation. Exactly. And particularly if he had spoken directly to the media, it would have changed the way people, it it would have removed the room for speculation that ultimately became a vacuum that people had to fill with all this like pseudoscience and like why why is clay thompson out there why is kevin looney playing with a broken chest and you're in the locker room and that was just like an unfortunate situation and you know it's going to be hard to pinpoint what changed in game five with that duran injury it's going to take a couple weeks and honestly may take a couple years before we're able to really appreciate the butterfly effect that was in play at that point but I honestly can't even kind of go down that road right now. So uh, let's keep it moving with some final thoughts here. But first, Ben, today's show is brought to us by movement, watches, and sunglasses. You shouldn't have to choose between overpriced designer sunglasses and cheap shades that won't last you through the summer. That's why we will never wear anything other than movement sunglasses. You've heard us talk about movement disrupting the watch industry, and now they are doing it again with sunglasses. The LA-based brand has hundreds of premium, affordable sunglasses styles to choose from, so whether you're into more timeless shapes like classic round sunnies or something that makes a statement like fun 90s skinny frames, they've got them all constructed with durable acetate and lightweight materials for that perfect, reliable fit. You don't have to choose between style and function. You get both. And with their free shipping and returns policy, you can try on as many styles as you want right from home. Ben, I know you're a huge acetate guy, so tell me a little bit more about movement sunglasses. No, the thing about movement sunglasses, they're simple, right? You don't have to overcomplicate this with all this jargon and spiel. Bottom line, do they look good? Are they comfortable? Do they feel good? Do you look cool wearing them? Do they block the sun? (laughs) <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And oh, by the way, also important, are they affordable? Guess what, Andrew? 
They're pretty affordable. Yes, was what you're supposed to say. Movement <laughs> sunglasses start at $60 and no pair prices over $95. So you're guaranteed to find a style you love with quality that doesn't break the bank. They've sold over 2.5 million products across more than 160 countries and their collections are always expanding. That's why it's called a movement, Andrew. That's why it's called a movement. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash floor. That's mvmt.com slash floor. See why movement keeps growing. Check out their expanding collection. That's mvmt.com slash floor. Join the movement. All right. So let's get back into it. Home stretch here. What are your other lingering thoughts on the way out of this series? Do you have any takes for me? Okay, you mentioned all the defense that Steph faced. Mm -hmm. If I told you in an elimination game that James Harden went 6 for 17 from the field, had 21 points, uh, 7 assists, and missed a game-winning, potential game-winning shot in the closing seconds, and his number two guy, I guess in this case would be Eric Gordon, had 30 points to kind of carry them, would Harden catch heat that we know Steph is not going to catch? Um, Harden has not won three championships and been incredible for the last five or six years. But to be very clear, Steph is going to catch a lot of heat for this game. Is I, he? I bet he will, yeah. Explain that. Uh, I, I'm shocked. I did, I did not anticipate you saying that. Um, I just I imagine that there are going to be people out there who say Steph Curry has never really come through in these big moments. Um, and you know what? To be fair, I think that there is like the the Steph conversation is a little bit more nuanced than we sometimes acknowledge because I think you and I are both huge believers in Steph. But I understand the people who hear him praised as a potential top five guy and look up and say, look, in big moments and in the finals, like we haven't seen him come into the finals and be the best player on the floor in any series he's really played in. Um, I And that's not me saying that. That's that's critics saying that. I would say that like... He was kind, he, was he, he better than Kawhi this series? Um, to I, me, he wasn't. No, I, I don't think he was. Um, but if we're talking Harden, by the way, should we, should we compare... Playoff Kawhi to playoff Harden. I believe we had a, a debate like a month well, or two ago. We know who had more help. Yeah, uh, old playoff Kawhi. He did his thing, man, and the Raptors did as well, and um, the Eastern Conference did as well. Uh, going forward, the East really could be like far superior to the West next year. That's another Ooh. interesting uh, development. Okay, let's get back to that on one in a second, but let's stick to the Steph stuff. So, grade him for this series. Um, I would give him probably a B plus or a minus given what he was dealing with. I was going to say a minus. I mean, I think that Kawhi was an A or borderline A plus for the series. So I think that, you know, the point about has Steph been the best guy in a finals? I mean, to me, KD was better in both the finals MVP seasons. LeBron was better the first couple. Yeah. So I think that's a fair point. Yeah, and see, this is where, as a Steph believer, it gets a little bit frustrating to me because you have people kind of like searching for these fine print um, sort of asterisks or or holes in his resume where it's like, look, this guy has kind of revolutionized the game and owned the league for the better part of a decade now. And so I'm not going to overthink it and nitpick every finals he's been to. But 
I do think that there is a middle ground that yeah. is probably the most accurate way to describe his career and his place in history at this point. It's like he is a top 15 guy and he is not a top five guy. Had he pulled off this finals and been able to pull this out of his ass, like we would have had to really start having crazy conversations about where Steph ranks in history. No, I'm glad you said that because I do think the conversation has settled meaningfully lower than the savior like Steph Christ talk that I think is out there or you know is percolating uh you know every year this time of year oh he's the most underrated superstar and all that stuff and I think a lot of a lot of that is still true but a lot of that is a reaction to people not really giving him credit over the years which I think is another thing that has been real and does happen um but yeah so I it, the truth is in the middle. Right. I think you saw with the turnovers. I think you saw, you know, at times his lack of size being issue. Um, I think also, uh, you know, they they scheme him as much as possible. And that, that sucks. But, like, I think sometimes if you're bigger, stronger, longer, you're more difficult to kind of scheme in the same way that stuff was. Uh, at times in this series, but he was, you know, really, was, really, yeah. really good. He was phenomenal. He was drawing a ton of attention. And I'll tell you what, man, if the Warriors had had an extra wing, like give the Warriors even Daniel House instead of Alfonso McKinney, because McKinney no. was. If McKinney could have given them anything, they win this game, probably. Yeah. yeah, it was really tough. So, my point with the comparison with Stephen Harden was not to say that they're equals. My uh-huh. point is that we should always. Look for the nuance when we're judging some of these superstar players and not just go straight to the field goals and, you know, slash field goal attempts number and use that to write them off or the points number. Because I think his impact, like you mentioned in this game, even in in game six, where it wasn't his best effort, like he was still the driving force of that game, right? I mean, Toronto is doing everything they can possibly do. Well, and Clay was too. I mean, I'm blown away by how good Clay was tonight. But how much of what Clay does, though, is derivative? from Steph, yes. right? Versus vice versa. And I, I had that thought watching Clay out there taking like leaning fadeaways from 18 feet when Steph was on the bench. And um, he can still hit those shots, but he is just 10 times more effective when he's kind of orbiting Steph and um, acting as the safety valve when Steph is getting double and triple teamed, which he was tonight, which is like, I, I've never seen a player guarded that way in the finals, um, and I don't blame the Raptors for doing it because there's just weren't many other guys on the floor that could beat them. Let me ask you another big picture question, and we'll get to the East-West stuff. Does Clay's injury change your thinking if you're Golden State at all towards Kevin Durant? Because I think there's there's been some people who say, hey, give KD whatever contract he wants. If he wants a five-year max contract and you're Golden State— uh, give it to him. But now you're looking at the possibility of, you know, trying to pay Clay big money, Kevin Durant big money. Both these guys are going to be coming off of injuries. Uh, you've already seen that this super top heavy approach, which is only going to get more top heavy the more you pay those guys. Yeah. You know, your supporting cast is only going to get shorter and shorter. Um, you know, does Golden State need to rethink the super team plan, basically, like w- with these specific players? What do you mean? Well, I'm just saying if you're going to tie up like $40 million in, in KD and 30 plus in Clay, and Steph's already on the books for huge money, Draymond's going to be you know, only getting more expensive down the road. Wait a second. Are you, you're on the edge of a take here. I, I don't know whether you're trying to bring me to it. <laughs> should, the, should the Warriors just let these guys go? No, no, no. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, but do they have to start making choices, I guess? Like, is there another way to spend this money? Because if you're you know, getting as much as you possibly can from a guy like Iguodala, that production is only going to decrease. You mentioned Livingston might retire, so he might not be back. 
their methods for adding other talent, it's going to be like the mid-level exception or nothing else. They've yeah. also got Cousins who will need to get paid this summer or he's going to be out, right? So they have all these different guys who are facing either potential injury issues, comebacks, or the need to get paid even more money than they're already being paid. And you've got Steph as your centerpiece in his prime. And so if you're trying to construct the most consistent, reliable, long-term winner around Steph, does that necessarily involve bringing everybody back? Or, you know, for example, if New York was to max out KD, could that wind up in some way being almost like a blessing in disguise for Golden State's team building? I guess that's my question. Um, no. I, if I were them, I would offer the five years to Durant and, and hope that perhaps the Achilles changes his calculus and, um, and changes the way they are approaching things and say, all right, we're, we're going to punt next year because it's rare in general, it's rare to go to six finals in a row and come out intact. And so it would make sense if the Warriors, instead of looking like the 90s Bulls, eventually turn into the Spurs for a new generation where they're able to kind of regenerate and rejigger these lineups and find a way to keep it rolling. Now, that, that is probably where they're headed. If you could bring Durant back in a year, like do it. Yeah. Um, and no, and I'm the with same you is too. true with Clay. And from a philosophical standpoint, like nothing would make me happier than KD saying, you know what? The injury made me rethink all the drama. I really appreciated Steph going to the locker room with me. That meant a lot on a personal level. We've got a better partnership than, you know, almost any other duo in NBA history. If you're talking about pure ceiling and talent as players, there's not very many other duos we've seen. Uh, who have reached you know their heights and i want to be here long term that would make me so happy i'm not <laughs> totally sure that's how it's going to play out especially because you have these added intrigue of uh you know just the way his his injury happened and that could easily be something that winds up pushing him away from golden state but i think that golden state though what i'm trying to get at is they're going to have to make some choices here pretty soon yep and the choice could just be look we want to keep the original band back together you know together we're going to pay them all and I think at that point, given the injury issues that I mentioned earlier, that may pull their ceiling down a little bit. It certainly will next year. Right. And then going forward, we're going to have to see. I, like, I don't really know. They're not going to have a lot of room, and they're going to have to start getting creative. Like The Spurs were able to regenerate <laughs> yeah. because they hit on guys right. in the late 20s in the draft. They hit on Tony Parker. They hit on Manu Ginobili. And they, they, there were even other guys up and down, like Patty Mills, they, they pluck out of nowhere. The Warriors are going to have to do that because I think what we saw in this series is that they haven't done that over the last couple of years. And, and like, a lot of the guys they tried to build up just didn't pan out. Yeah. And the minimum. McCall was on the Raptors. Right. Jordan Bell was unplayable. Damian Jones is like barely in the NBA at this point, and and that's an issue. Oh, it's a big issue. And like the idea of getting creative with your minimum salary slots, I feel like there still should have been a lot more vets who wanted to go play in Golden State than did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like given how much they won recently, shouldn't they have been just like lining up? Uh, veterans on those minimum deals year after year and they didn't really get any um, I mean when Nick Young is like your big haul <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you bring in Nick Young to motivate Patrick McCaw and you wind up alienating him so like the one wing that seems promising is suddenly going AWOL and trying to sign with the Cavs that ends up landing with the Raptors and like it's just they've had some bad luck at the uh, with the bottom half of the roster and it cost them in this series um because I do think a lot of these games were winnable and, and Golden State just didn't have quite enough. But that's, again, credit to the Raptors for kicking ass and, and 
closing this out when they had the chance. Um, so East versus West, let's wrap there. Last thought. So make the case for me that you're convinced that the Eastern Conference is going to be better than the West next year. Is it just a function of KD out of the picture? KD out of the picture, Clay potentially injured. Um, the Warriors kind of come crashing back to earth a little bit. Okay, uh, so what if Kawhi— By the way, this is just a glum— I don't like that this is part of the storyline coming okay. out of the finals today, but we have to acknowledge it. Like, that's— the Warriors' ceiling did get lower for next year. And it's crazy to think about, but that's where we are. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, don't you think Houston should have maybe, like, held off melting down for, like, three weeks? That's what we were saying when they were <laughs> melting down. We are like, guys, like, it could be wide open next year. Just just run it back and see what you have. And now next year, you and I are going to be talking about James Harden in the finals, probably. Um Honestly, if we're talking about East-West, number one, I think Anthony Davis is going to end up, um, well, he, he could end up with the Lakers, but I, I, I could also see the Celtics just kind of rolling the dice. What, what do you think about that? It's been a tough week for, for Boston, hasn't it? I see. Here's the thing. I think the Celtics have been rebuilding for five or six years. They've wanted Anthony Davis for nearly that entire time. They are going to lose Kyrie Irving, who I'm sure a majority of the organization is happy to see go. I could easily see Danny Ainge looking at the Anthony Davis talks and saying, you know what, I did not spend six years meticulously building this team and and constructing this future and hoarding these assets to then go finish in fifth place for the next five years with Jason Tatum. So fuck it. We're trading for Anthony Davis regardless Rich Paul, I read your interview. Great, great story by Scott Price in this week's Sports Illustrated. Everyone should go read it. But, like, I could easily see Danny Age being like, screw it. We're trading for him anyways. And you know what? We're going to go win 55 or 60 games next year. And then if at that point you're ready to go bet your next five years on Kevin Durant's Achilles recovery or try to, I mean, the Lakers are not going to keep that cap space for the following season. So like his options next year are going to be more complicated than they look right now. Celtics fan not going down without a fight. No, I'm just saying I th- that's, that's the case that I would imagine is being made internally in Boston if for, for trading for Anthony Davis. Sounds very desperate. Yeah. I mean, it is desperate. There's yeah. no question it's desperate, but it's like, if the alternative is to just sort of like take your ball and go home and finish in fifth or sixth place, like why not swing for the fences? Well, the alternative is saying, hey, Jason Tatum's actually the star and let's just let him. Well, it's it's a moment of truth on that front too. <laughs> it's like, is Jason Tatum actually the star is a, is a fair question at this point. Yeah, I also like the spinning already coming out that the, the Celtics, you know, losing Kyrie is going to be addition by subtraction for them. <laughs> I've, I've been seeing a little bit of that floating. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. The, the Kyrie net situation is equally puzzling because you're like, all right, so this makes sense if he's coming with another star. If he's not coming with another star, and if it's Kyrie and Tobias Harris this summer— what are you really going to accomplish with that? And like, and not only what are you going to accomplish in the best case scenario, but the worst case scenario looms large with Kyrie, given the injury, given all the crazy shit off the court. Like, I just don't know. I don't get why Brooklyn's doing it. I mean, yeah. I, I need somebody to make that case for me. And if it is that it's a package deal, then okay, that 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 case makes more sense than I the, would understand any other version. If he's if Kyrie has been recruiting Anthony Davis behind the scenes for two years, and they're going to sign Kyrie and then just offer literally everyone else on their roster, Jared Allen, Dinwiddie, 
Russell in a sign and trade and just try to like godfather their way into AD in Brooklyn, like that would make sense to me. If they have some kind of like weird back channels with Kawhi where they could steal him, that would make sense. But like Kyrie and Tobias Harris, I don't know where you're really going. Okay, so let's boil this down. To determine who's going to be stronger, West or East, we need to figure out where Anthony Davis lands and where Kawhi lands. Are those now the two players? That will determine it, I think, yes. right? Okay. All right. Um, I mean, not... how about the Lakers, by the way? Rising from the ashes here. Have they? They might. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but point blank right now, do you think Anthony Davis is a Laker next year? Uh, no, I don't. I feel like they're in that very classic part of the um, you know trade scenario where like they're being used to kind of leverage up yes. the, other, <laughs> the other offers. And they actually, their package isn't really that bad. Um especially if those guys are healthy lonzo ingram the fourth pick like that definitely would get me interested if i was the pelicans but i also feel like in this uh, conversation they're just the ultimate hammer right like the the threat of the lakers getting him is so obvious and so real for all these other teams that it's like that's the thing that if i was david griffin i'd be waving in everybody's face you know yeah the thing that i don't really understand is why the lakers wouldn't try to package ingram and four to get a real star to add to their their deal because if you're putting up ingram and like ingram in new orleans doesn't make a ton of sense to me I, i'm an ingram believer i think he's going to be really good eventually but he, a lot of his skills are redundant with zion neither one of them are great shooters and i just i wouldn't be thrilled if i were new orleans with the idea of turning around and paying him 130 or 140 million dollars next year um, which is what it's going to cost to keep him and so if i were la i would package ingram and four for a star and then you're, you're just not saying bradley bill's name is <laughs> your word i'm gonna make fun i of. know I've, I've got honestly fuck it let's keep the streak alive <laughs> bradley beal for the 15th straight podcast but then add beal lonzo and kuzma and then you do have the best offer and right now I'm just not sold that that is the most appealing offer to the Pelicans. But the Washington Wizards are going to have Masai Ujiri in charge as of tonight. So uh, we'll see what Masai says when Rob Palenka picks up the phone. Yeah, when that report dropped from Woj like seconds after the game ended, that's like the ultimate like, hey, it's time I'm about to get a raise, right? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Totally. Like I just delivered a title. I just walked off of the trophy presentation like, it's time to pay up. Well, and let me be very clear here. I would love it if Masai did come to D.C. Um, we would welcome him with open arms. Oh, you would? Yes. Uh, Is that would, an upgrade over Ernie, or do you think just kind of uh, equivalent, would, equivalent a, talents? a slight upgrade, I would say. But here's the thing. Like, I just don't understand why they have put everything on hold to conduct this pursuit, because it certainly does seem like... They are once again being used for leverage, and Masai is going to get a much better deal and could get an ownership stake in, you know, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment or whatever it is. Um, But who knows? Who knows where it all ends? For now, um, we've gone long enough and we both have to write, so I think we should reconvene next week. 
I'm not willing to see this uh, West versus East thing quite yet, even if both those guys go East. I think the oh depth God. of the talent you are such an insane in, the, in the Western Conference is still wins out. Um, oh. But it would definitely be getting closer than anything we've seen in a long well, time. Well, here's the deal, okay? The Warriors ran through the West, and we were ready to crown these guys. And then we realized Well, it's that... because they have to play a real regular season because all these oh, teams are good. Oh, my God. Okay. They don't get buys <laughs> in the first round against the Orlando Magic. Of the uh, world. Arguing with you is like hitting a tennis ball against like a brick wall, and it's just like no matter what happens, Look, it's like all reality doesn't even matter. You sometimes. guys are you guys are gonna be renting the Larry O'Brien Trophy for twelve months. You don't get it very often, so you make sure you really caress it and you give it a lot of attention because it's gonna be coming back out. We west. can go back through the last fifteen years. The East has won roughly half the time. No, it hasn't. Yeah, we're pulling up the. Let's pull it up. Do it. I could. <laughs> San Antonio is in the West, right? Yes. And the Lakers are in the West. And the Golden State's in the West. Okay. So Miami is in the East. Cleveland is in the East. Okay, so that's three. You got four. Uh, Boston is in the East. That's five. Okay. You said Miami won two titles. I counted both of them. Okay. Well, whatever. (laughs) This is is great podcast. You're you're not to seven or eight yet. I'm waiting. The point is the top half of the East was just 10 times better than the top half of the West this year. And I have been right all along. List of NBA champions. Um, listen, wait, they used to have a great run with the Bulls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was it 15 years ago? What, what oh, about Dallas? The Heat in, in 06, where, the Pistons in 04. Where was Dallas? Hey, we, we had a, a tough run with the Lakers in 2009, 2010. 2000, yeah, okay. All right. So, <laughs> it, it, look, roughly you 40% had a, You had a tough run for a decade. 40% of the time, the East has won out, and uh, it's okay. not nearly as lopsided so, as you sometimes imply. 60% of the time, the West is better. That's Look, a majority. All I know is when it was winning time this year, the East came through. Oh. My guy, Freddie Van Vliet, buried jumper after jumper to seal it. Congrats to the termites. I can't believe how many of you still listen to our podcast through all of this. Um because we've been dismissive at every turn. Someone should go back and listen to how dismissive we were of Marcus Saul when we uh, did the oh, initial yeah. podcast. Well, he didn't even score tonight. But That's I, an L for us in general. Oh, he, he three points. Yeah, he, didn't three, make a he was 0 for 5 from the field, though. All right, um, we're wrapping this up, guys. Thanks for um, all the questions that we got over the last couple of days. Clearly, we should have used some in this podcast to provide us a little structure, but we appreciate you hanging uh, with us anyways. It's been a long crazy postseason full of emotional ups and downs and we appreciate you guys uh you know sticking with us like andrew said uh you can find us on apple Podcasts by searching for open floor that's two words find our page scroll down it will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy help us end this season on a much higher note than the gold state warriors by getting our review numbers up we'd appreciate it we're also on the world famous radio.com slash open floor western conference guys don't get your heads down okay we're coming back you know this is a what do they say a, a, mi- a minor setback for a major comeback is that the new uh there you new go. cliche that everybody uses look your guy Harden is going to be the favorite next year. Big Ooh. year for, for BG Industries. <laughs> Here we go. Harden versus Giannis in 2021. All right. Follow me on Instagram at Oliver for the early Rockets optimism. Andrew, until next week, when we're probably going to be in New York for the draft, I will talk to you. All right, man.